Alonzo Fitz and Other Stories by Mark Twain Chapter 5 The Great Revolution in Pitcairn Let me refresh the reader's memory a little. Nearly a hundred years ago the crew of the British ship Bounty mutinied, set the captain and his officers adrift upon the open sea, took possession of the ship, and sailed southward. They procured wives for themselves among the natives of Tahiti, then proceeded to a lonely little rock in mid-Pacific called Pitcairn's Island, wrecked the vessel, stripped her of everything that might be useful to a new colony, and established themselves on shore. Pitcairn's is so far removed from the track of commerce that it was many years before another vessel touched there. It had always been considered an uninhabited island. So when a ship did at last drop its anchor there in 1808, the captain was greatly surprised to find the place peopled. Although the mutineers had fought among themselves and gradually killed each other off until only two or three of the original stock remained, these tragedies had not occurred before a number of children had been born. So in 1808 the island had a population of twenty-seven persons. John Adams, the chief mutineer, still survived, and was to live many years yet as governor and patriarch of the flock. From being mutineer and homicide he had turned Christian and teacher, and his nation of twenty-seven persons was now the purest and devoutest in Christendom. Adams had long ago hoisted the British flag, and constituted his island as an appanage of the British crown. Today the population numbers ninety persons, sixteen men, nineteen women, twenty-five boys, and thirty girls, all descendants of the mutineers, all bearing the family names of those mutineers, and all speaking English, and English only. The island stands high up out of the sea, and has precipitous walls. It is about three-quarters of a mile long, and in places is as much as half a mile wide. Such arable land as it affords is held by the several families according to a division made many years ago. There is some livestock—goats, pigs, chickens, and cats—but no dogs, and no large animals. There is one church building used also as a capital, a schoolhouse, and a public library. The title of the governor has been, for a generation or two, magistrate and chief ruler, in subordination to Her Majesty the Queen of Great Britain. It was his province to make the laws as well as execute them. His office was elective. Everybody over seventeen years old had a vote, no matter about the sex. The sole occupations of the people were farming and fishing, their sole recreation, religious services. There has never been a shop in the island, nor any money. The habits and dress of the people have always been primitive, and their laws simple to puerility. They have lived in a deep Sabbath tranquillity, far from the world and its ambitions and vexations, and neither knowing nor caring what was going on in the mighty empires that lie beyond their limitless ocean solitudes. Once in three or four years a ship touched there, moved them with aged news of bloody battles, devastating epidemics, fallen thrones and ruined dynasties, then traded them some soap and flannel for some yams and breadfruit, and sailed away, leaving them to retire into their peaceful dreams and pious dissipations once more. On the 8th of last September, Admiral de Horsey, commander-in-chief of the British fleet in the Pacific, visited Pitcairn's Island, 
and speaks as follows in his official report to the admiralty they have beans carrots turnips cabbages and a little maize pineapples fig-trees custard apples and oranges lemons and coconuts clothing is obtained alone from passing ships in barter for refreshments there are no springs on the island but as it rains generally once a month they have plenty of water although at times in former years they have suffered from drought no alcoholic liquors except for medicinal purposes are used and a drunkard is unknown the necessary articles required by the islanders are best shown by those we furnished in barter for refreshments namely flannel serge drill half-boots combs tobacco and soap they also stand much in need of maps and slates for their school and tools of any kind are most acceptable i caused them to be supplied from the public stores with a union jack for display on the arrival of ships and a pit saw of which they were greatly in need this i trust will meet the approval of their lordships if the municipal people of england were only aware of the wants of this most deserving little colony they would not long go unsupplied divine service is held every sunday at ten thirty a m and at three p m in the house built and used by john adams for that purpose until he died in eighteen twenty nine it is conducted strictly in accordance with the liturgy of the church of england by mr simon young their selected pastor who is much respected a bible class is held every wednesday when all who conveniently can attend there is also a general meeting for prayer on the first friday in every month family prayers are said in every house the first thing in the morning and the last thing in the evening and no food is partaken of without asking god's blessing before and afterward of these islanders religious attributes no one can speak without deep respect a people whose greatest pleasure and privilege is to commune in prayer with their god and to join in hymns of praise and who are moreover cheerful diligent and probably freer from vice than any other community need no priest among them now i come to a sentence in the admiral's report which he dropped carelessly from his pen no doubt and never gave the matter a second thought he little imagined what a freight of tragic prophecy it bore this is the sentence one stranger an american has settled on the island a doubtful acquisition a doubtful acquisition indeed captain ormsby in the american ship hornet touched at pitcairns nearly four months after the admiral's visit and from the facts which he gathered there we now know all about that american let us put these facts together in historical form the american's name was butterworth staveley as soon as he had become well acquainted with all the people and this took but a few days of course he began to ingratiate himself with them by all the arts he could command he became exceedingly popular and much looked up to for one of the first things he did was to forsake his worldly way of life and throw all his energies into religion he was always reading his bible or praying or singing hymns or asking blessings in prayer no one had such liberty as he no one could pray so long or so well at last when he considered the time to be ripe he began secretly to sow the seeds of discontent among the people it was his deliberate purpose from the beginning to subvert the government but of course he kept that to himself for a time he used different arts with different individuals 
he awakened dissatisfaction in one quarter by calling attention to the shortness of the sunday services he argued that there should be three three-hour services on sunday instead of only two many had secretly held this opinion before they now privately banded themselves into a party to work for it he showed certain of the women that they were not allowed sufficient voice in the prayer meetings thus another party was formed no weapon was beneath his notice he even descended to the children and awoke discontent in their breasts because as he discovered for them they had not enough sunday school this created a third party now as the chief of these parties he found himself the strongest power in the community so he proceeded to his next move a no less important one than the impeachment of the chief magistrate james russell nicoy a man of character and ability and possessed of great wealth he being the owner of a house with a parlor to it three acres and a half of yam land and the only boat in pitcairns a whaleboat and most unfortunately a pretext for this impeachment offered itself at just the right time one of the earliest and most precious laws of the island was the law against trespass it was held in great reverence and was regarded as the palladium of the people's liberties about thirty years ago an important case came before the courts under this law in this wise a chicken belonging to elizabeth young aged at that time fifty-eight a daughter of john mills one of the mutineers of the bounty trespassed upon the grounds of thursday october christian aged twenty-nine a grandson of fletcher christian one of the mutineers christian killed the chicken according to the law christian could keep the chicken or if he preferred he could restore its remains to the owner and receive damages in produce to an amount equivalent to the waste and injury wrought by the trespasser the court records set forth that the said christian aforesaid did deliver the aforesaid remains to the said elizabeth young and did demand one bushel of yams in satisfaction of the damage done but elizabeth young considered the demand exorbitant the parties could not agree therefore christian brought suit in the courts he lost his case in the justice's court at least he was awarded only a half a peck of yams which he considered insufficient and in the nature of a defeat he appealed the case lingered several years in an ascending grade of courts and always resulted in decrees sustaining the original verdict and finally the thing got into the supreme court and there it stuck for twenty years but last summer even the supreme court managed to arrive at a decision at last once more the original verdict was sustained christian then said he was satisfied but staveley was present and whispered to him and to his lawyer suggesting as a mere form that the original law be exhibited in order to make sure that it still existed it seemed an odd idea but an ingenious one so the demand was made a messenger was sent to the magistrate's house he presently returned with the tidings that it had disappeared from among the state archives the court now pronounced its late decision void since it had been made under a law which had no actual existence great excitement ensued immediately the news swept abroad over the whole island that the palladium of the public liberties was lost maybe treasonably destroyed within thirty minutes almost the entire nation were in the courtroom that is to say the church the impeachment of the chief magistrate followed upon staveley's motion the accused met his misfortune with the dignity which became his great office 
he did not plead or even argue he offered the simple defense that he had not meddled with the missing law that he had kept the state archives in the same candle-box that had been used as their depository from the beginning and that he was innocent of the removal or destruction of the lost document but nothing could save him he was found guilty of misprision of treason and degraded from his office and all his property was confiscated the lamest part of the whole shameful matter was the reason suggested by his enemies for his destruction of the law to wit that he did it to favor christian because christian was his cousin whereas Stavely was the only individual in the entire nation who was not his cousin. The reader must remember that all these people are the descendants of half a dozen men, that the first children intermarried together and bore grandchildren to the mutineers, that these grandchildren intermarried, after them great and great-great-grandchildren intermarried, so that today everybody is blood-kin to everybody moreover the relationships are wonderfully even astoundingly mixed up and complicated a stranger for instance says to an islander you speak of that young woman as your cousin a while ago you called her your aunt well she is my aunt and my cousin too and also my stepsister my niece my fourth cousin my thirty-third cousin my forty-second cousin my great-aunt my grandmother my widowed sister-in-law and next week she will be my wife so the charge of nepotism against the chief magistrate was weak but no matter weak or strong it suited stavely stavely was immediately elected to the vacant magistracy and oozing reform from every pore he went vigorously to work in no long time religious services raged everywhere and unceasingly by command the second prayer of the sunday morning service which had customarily endured some thirty-five or forty minutes and had pleaded for the world first by continent and then by national and tribal detail was extended to an hour and a half and made to include supplications in behalf of the possible peoples in the several planets everybody was pleased with this everybody said now this is something like by command the usual three-hour sermons were doubled in length the nation came in a body to testify their gratitude to the new magistrate the old law forbidding cooking on the sabbath was extended to the prohibition of eating also by command sunday school was privileged to spread over into the week the joy of all classes was complete in one short month the new magistrate had become the people's idol the time was ripe for this man's next move he began cautiously at first to poison the public mind against england he took the chief citizens aside one by one and conversed with them on this topic presently he grew bolder and spoke out he said the nation owed it to itself to its honor to its great traditions to rise in its might and throw off this galling english yoke but the simple islanders answered we had not noticed that it galled how does it gall england sends a ship once in three or four years to give us soap and clothing and things which we sorely need and gratefully receive she never troubles us she lets us go our own way she lets you go your own way 
so slaves have felt and spoken in all the ages this speech shows how fallen you are how base how brutalized you have become under this grinding tyranny what has all manly pride forsaken you is liberty nothing are you content to be a mere appendage to a foreign and hateful sovereignty when you might rise up and take your rightful place in the august family of nations great free enlightened independent the minion of no sceptred master but the arbiter of your own destiny and a voice and a power in decreeing the destinies of your sister sovereignties of the world speeches like this produced an effect by and by citizens began to feel the english yoke they did not know exactly how or whereabouts they felt it but they were perfectly certain they did feel it they got to grumbling a good deal and chafing under their chains and longing for relief and release they presently fell to hating the english flag that sign and symbol of their nation's degradation they ceased to glance up at it as they passed the capital but averted their eyes and grated their teeth and one morning when it was found trampled into the mud at the foot of the staff they left it there and no man put his hand to it to hoist it again a certain thing which was sure to happen sooner or later happened now some of the chief citizens went to the magistrate by night and said we can endure this hated tyranny no longer how can we cast it off by a coup d'etat how a coup d'etat it is like this everything is got ready and at the appointed moment i as the official head of the nation publicly and solemnly proclaim its independence and absolve it from allegiance to any and all other powers whatsoever well, that sounds simple and easy we can do that right away then what will be the next thing to do seize all the defenses and public properties of all kinds establish martial law put the army and navy on a war footing and proclaim the empire this fine program dazzled these innocents they said this is grand this is splendid but will not england resist let her this rock is a gibraltar true but what about the empire do we need an empire and an emperor what you need my friends is unification look at germany look at italy they are unified unification is the thing it makes living dear that constitutes progress we must have a standing army and a navy taxes follow as a matter of course all these things summed up make grandeur with unification and grandeur what more can you want very well only the empire can confer these boons so on the eighth day of december pitcairn's island was proclaimed a free and independent nation and on the same day the solemn coronation of butterworth the first emperor of pitcairn's island took place amid great rejoicings and festivities the entire nation with the exception of fourteen persons mainly little children marched past the throne in single file with banners and music the procession being upward of ninety feet long and some said it was as much as three-quarters of a minute passing a given point nothing like it had ever been seen in the history of the island before public enthusiasm was measureless now straightway imperial reforms began orders of nobility were instituted a minister of the navy was appointed and the whaleboat put in commission a minister of war was created and ordered to proceed at once with the formation of a standing army 
a first lord of the treasury was named and commanded to get up a taxation scheme and also open negotiations for treaties offensive defensive and commercial with foreign powers some generals and admirals were appointed also some chamberlains some equerries in waiting and some lords of the bedchamber at this point all the material was used up the grand duke of galilee minister of war complained that all the sixteen grown men in the empire had been given great offices and consequently would not consent to serve in the ranks wherefore his standing army was at a standstill the marquis of ararat minister of the navy made a similar complaint he said he was willing to steer the whaleboat himself but he must have somebody to man her the emperor did the best he could in the circumstances he took all the boys above the age of ten years away from their mothers and pressed them into the army thus constructing a corps of seventeen privates officered by one lieutenant-general and two major-generals this pleased the minister of war but procured the enmity of all the mothers in the land for they said their precious ones must now find bloody graves in the fields of war and he would be answerable for it some of the more heartbroken and unappeasable among them lay constantly wait for the emperor and threw yams at him unmindful of the bodyguard on account of the extreme scarcity of material it was found necessary to require the duke of bethany postmaster-general to pull stroke-oar in the navy and thus sit in the rear of a noble of lower degree namely viscount canaan lord justice of the common pleas this turned the duke of bethany into tolerably open malcontent and a secret conspirator a thing which the emperor foresaw but could not help things went from bad to worse the emperor raised nancy peters to the peerage on one day and married her the next notwithstanding for reasons of state the cabinet had strenuously advised him to marry emmeline eldest daughter of the archbishop of bethlehem this caused trouble in a powerful quarter the church the new empress secured the support and friendship of two-thirds of the thirty-six grown women in the nation by absorbing them into her court as maids of honor but this made deadly enemies of the remaining twelve the families of the maids of honor soon began to rebel because there was nobody at home to keep house the twelve snubbed women refused to enter the imperial kitchen as servants so the empress had to require the countess of jericho and other great court dames to fetch water sweep the palace and perform other menial and equally distasteful services this made bad blood in that department everybody fell to complaining that the taxes levied for the support of the army the navy and the rest of the imperial establishment were intolerably burdensome and were reducing the nation to beggary the emperor's reply look look at germany look at italy are you better than they and haven't you unification did not satisfy them they said people can't eat unification and we are starving agriculture has ceased everybody is in the army everybody is in the navy everybody is in the public service standing around in a uniform with nothing whatever to do nothing to eat and nobody to till the fields look at germany look at italy it is the same there such is unification and there's no other way to get it no other way to keep it after you've got it said the poor emperor always but the grumblers only replied we can't stand the taxes we can't stand them now right on top of this 
the cabinet reported a national debt amounting to upward of forty-five dollars half a dollar to every individual in the nation and they proposed to fund something they had heard that this was always done in such emergencies they proposed duties on exports also on imports and they wanted to issue bonds also paper money redeemable in yams and cabbages in fifty years they said the pay of the army and of the navy and of the whole government machine was far in arrears and unless something was done and done immediately national bankruptcy must ensue and possibly insurrection and revolution the emperor at once resolved upon a high-handed measure and one of a nature never before heard of in pitcairn's island he went in state to the church on sunday morning with the army at his back and commanded the minister of the treasury to take up a collection that was the feather that broke the camel's back first one citizen and then another rose and refused to submit to this unheard-of outrage and each refusal was followed by the immediate confiscation of the malcontents property this vigor soon stopped the refusals and the collection proceeded amid a sullen and ominous silence as the emperor withdrew with the troops he said i will teach you who is master here several persons shouted down with unification they were at once arrested and torn from the arms of their weeping friends by the soldiery but in the meantime as any prophet might have foreseen a social democrat had been developed as the emperor stepped into the gilded imperial wheelbarrow at the church door the social democrat stabbed at him fifteen or sixteen times with a harpoon but fortunately with such a peculiarly social democratic unprecision of aim as to do no damage that very night the convulsion came the nation rose as one man though forty-nine of the revolutionists were of the other sex the infantry threw down their pitchforks the artillery cast aside their coconuts the navy revolted the emperor was seized and bound hand and foot in his palace he was very much depressed he said i freed you from a grinding tyranny i lifted you out of your degradation and made you a nation among nations i gave you a strong compact centralized government and more than all i gave you the blessing of blessings unification i have done all this and my reward is hatred insult and these bonds take me do with me as you will i here resign my crown and all my dignities and gladly do i release myself from their too heavy burden for your sake i took them up for your sake i lay them down the imperial jewel is no more now bruise and defile as ye will the useless setting by a unanimous voice the people condemned the ex-emperor and the social democrat to perpetual banishment from church services or to perpetual labor as galley-slaves in the whaleboat, whichever they might prefer. The next day the nation assembled again, and rehoisted the British flag, reinstated the British tyranny, reduced the nobility to the condition of commoners again, and then straightway turned their diligent attention to the weeding of the ruined and neglected yam-patches, and the rehabilitation of the old useful industries, and the old healing and solacing pieties the ex-emperor restored the lost trespass law and explained that he had stolen it not to injure any one but to further his political projects therefore the nation gave the late chief magistrate his office again 
and also his alienated property. Upon reflection, the ex-emperor and the social democrat chose perpetual banishment from religious services, in preference to perpetual labor as galley-slaves with perpetual religious services, as they phrased it, wherefore the people believed that the poor fellow's troubles had unseated their reason, and so they judged it best to confine them for the present, which they did. Such is the history of Pitcairn's doubtful acquisition. End of chapter 5